Joker, you got a question for us this week? Yeah, this week I think I got one. So, going back into magic, if you could choose one of the planes of existence to visit what, that you know of, where would you go? Ask more of the question, which one do you know? Okay, I don't know its name, but whatever plane, and because all of them seem horrific and terrifying for a human like me. That depends on the one. I'm going with dinosaurs. So, uh, Ixalan. Yes. Yeah, that one's fairly terrifying because you also got the Legion of Vampires. Wait, that's where they are? That's where one of the groups of vampires in the Magic Universe are from, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you got one faction that's vampires and one that's uh, dinosaurs and dino hunters. I mean, I want to see <laughs> dinosaurs. I want, I want to hold a baby dinosaur. Okay, of course. And for me, it'd be either... Um, Amonkhet or Theros. One's very Egyptian based or themed, and the other one is very Greek and Roman themed. I was like, knowing my obsession with history, those are definitely places I would love to go. Those would those would be pretty fun to go to. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I, I I wouldn't mind visiting those ones. Too. See, not all of them are that bad for humans. True. Well, at least Theros. Amonkhet, yeah, it can be. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't want to have like zombies. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them. <laughs> okay, folks, that leads us into this week's episode of Are You a Fan? Presented by Moonbound Productions. If you like the episode, give us a like, share, follow, and, you know, maybe annoy a friend into into watching. <laughs> um, this week's character, uh, that brings us to this week's character. Elspeth Tyrell. Did I say that right? To be honest, it's, it's like most of our magic episodes. I go off of what I've heard offline, which is... That was close. It's Elspeth Tyrell. Elspeth Tyrell. Again, this is what I've heard. I have no idea how to actually pronounce it. If we were wrong, then, you know, we apologize. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, so uh, place of birth. Unknown plane containing a metropolis of new Capina. Yeah, again, not not sure. That, okay. That's also the new set. I have no idea how to pronounce it. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a. I feel like I'm gonna butcher a lot of words because I'm gonna be thinking that they are some magic word. <laughs> okay. Probably. She is 27 <laughs> at the time of death. Wow, that's a young man. That's medieval I, age. <laughs> honestly, from what I've learned and gathered from looking at different characters, that seems to be about most of their character arcs are in their 20s. I mean, you know, the brightest the, the brightest stars burn the fastest. Right. I mean, because Jace was in his 20s. Oh, yeah. The next character we plan on covering, uh, Gideon, was also in his 20s. Dang. Except for a few of the past ones we've covered, which were ancient walkers. Like, most of them seem to be fairly young. I mean, I guess life of an adventure. Yeah. Okay. So, her life immediately prior to her ascension would be spent as a prisoner along with many other beings, locked tightly away and tortured. In this prison, the Phyrexians of her homeworld tended to those of their numbers that felt insane. Elspeth and her peers were a distraction meant to soothe the insanity of the flawed Phyrexians. So, to kind of, I guess, allude to the Phyrexians, like they were um, these corrupted machines and metal beings that... It was through, like, uh, an oil. Like, they could corrupt other things. But, yeah, uh, none of it was ever perfect. I mean, I feel like that goes with the whole corruption concept. <laughs> yep. And that the whole, like, pursuit of perfection 
but there's no such thing. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so when her dark warding came for her, she responded instinctively with a powerful spell and planes walked away to Theros. She was only 13 at the time. She spent the next few years of her young life seeking a place that was safe, suffering unknown hardships until finally she stumbled across Bant, one of the shards of Alara. Yeah, so Alara, which was something we'll talk about here in a second, was uh, a plane that kind of separated, and each of its shards were a three-color pair. Oh. And Bant is the blue, white, green one. Okay. A little more of the, I guess, normal ones that I've seen out of all the... Like, it's the most human one from mm. what I've seen. Okay. It's kind of an interesting concept, though. Like, a plane shattering and becoming an object. Right. And and or a autonomous being. <laughs> yeah. That's, be- that's the best description I can think of. <laughs> okay. So, into the Alaran paradise, in Bant, Elspeth would find everything that was missing from her life, community, love, and most importantly, peace. At 16, she was training and eager to become a knight of Bant. I mean, heck, uh, yeah, you gotta have goals in life. Right. (laughs) Let's see how that goes for her, though. Uh, She settled in the nation of Valeron. Once again, apologies. no idea. <laughs> and at 17, she began her training as a squire. Squire, squire, bring me my sword. <laughs> In a short three years, she was knighted, younger than almost anyone. Well, that's, hey, that's an impressive goal. Right. Her, fo- her fellow knights had no knowledge of her ability to planeswalk or of her origins. She kept the nature of her origin and abilities secret and... <laughs> Allayed any questions concerning her birthplace, only admitting to not being from Valeron. She would earn more sigils than anyone else in her order. Man, this is an overachiever. She really was from from a very young age. I'm sh- I'm shocked. Like maybe we'll find out, but I'm just shocked that like she doesn't have like a like that one rival who's just like how like who's going against her. Right. I'm sure there was, but they don't really talk about it. At least, not that I found. Ah, all good. So, two years after she had last used her abilities, her peaceful idol would be shattered when the broken body of a planeswalker crashed down near her outpost. With the help of Bant's bomb givers and Rock's monks, and Rock's are um, two-legged rhino people. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love those guys. So, with, with their help, they would nurse the Leonin, a Johnny Goldmane, back to health. Giving, uh, given his condition upon arrival, she thought she had found a kindred spirit and sought to convince him to stay upon Bant. Unfortunately, after a confrontation, she was rudely proven wrong, and Ajani would leave only with a dire warning that their worlds were closer than she thought. Okay, so I don't know much about Ajani, so good guy or bad guy? Uh, he's a good guy. He, okay. He's the um, white planeswalker cat. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm shocked I didn't recognize that. He was one of my favorite cards at one point. Yep. <laughs> okay, pretty, pretty, uh, not a great, not a great start to her meeting other planeswalkers. Yeah, no, not so much. And also, probably not a, kin, a guy you'd want as a kindred spirit in that. If I, if I know, he always see, like, from what I can tell, it's like some of his flavor text or anything in that. 
He seems pretty like that grumpy guy. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it comes from the stuff he's seen and done. Which, fair, fair. <laughs> and she's still, bu- she's still like, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yep, she's still young. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, after this warning, her mind was continually troubled. Concerned with some of the distressing rumors she had heard, she went out with her squire, Aaron, to search for evidence. At a rocks monastery, they found a Grixis incursion zone. The conflux... The conflux was a natural event that brought the separated shards of Alara back together into a single plane. Uh, so yeah, so the so the uh, conflux had begun to uh, begun for Elspeth. Yeah, so this was the time, and during the conflux, like as we see a little bit in this, all the shards coming back into contact with each other were essentially very different worlds, so when they came in contact, they started having conflicts. A lot. I mean, it kind of... That actually does kind of make sense. Like, even right. though it's tech... Like, the shards clearly want to be together. Right. But the problem with that is because, yeah, they've been separated for so long, that's going to create different environments, yep. and then, yep, I can see easily how that would create a major and, you know, conflict. You know, different kinds of creatures on each kind, different moral stances all sorts of differences that yeah when they come colliding together does not mix well mm, no if if humans have proved anything in that we do not get along with other with other things oh god no so she would rush back to the castle uh that she served and took part in disastrous defense of her home Aaron fell to the enemy and something in elspeth finally broke she would cast aside all rules of civil warfare that bant cherished and unleashed her full powers devastating her enemies and bringing Aaron back to life. All the members of the castle would look at her with a newfound respect and admiration, but what she felt in their eyes was expectation and accusation, as if she had betrayed them somehow. She would strip herself of her sigils as a result, feeling they were, the weight was too heavy to bear. It seems like a... That just feels like that one person's like, I failed, everybody's like, you did amazing, you saved us. Right. It's like, I failed you, and they're like... What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I can kind of see that, though, because if she went and completely did went against what they see as civil warfare, it makes sense. True. It's just I, I get her. I get her stance in that. But like, it's just one of those like I'm like, eh, if, if they've forgiven you and now they're like, oh, you're like, you're the reason like we succeeded and that like, you know, we'll kind of just ignore then, then I, I think part of it too is just that she broke, like she snapped and she just went out of instinct. Which you know, weird that her squire did that. It's kind of nice to see that some people cared about their squires, right? <laughs> okay, so okay, her rank was not so easily given up though. She still led her platoon under the Knight General Rafik. Okay. At least I'm Knight, assuming that's what I've heard. Knight General Rafik during the Battle of J- uh, Jace? Jess? 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 I, I, I don't know. Jess. To drive the invading forces of Esper away, but was brought low by her own ally under the command of an Esper mage. Oof. Yeah, because that was one of the shards that likes to do the controlling of others. Mm, yeah, no, that's... 
that's got a sting. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so as a result of her injury, she would no longer be allowed to fight on the front lines, but she refused to leave Bant, uh, to let Bant suffer in strife. She sought some way to help with that in mind. Uh, she would interrogate Guafa Hazid in hopes of learning who had manipulated the events behind the destruction of Giltspire Castle, which marked the start of, her, of problems in Bant. Guafa. That sounds like a side dish. Right. <laughs> and this whole name kind of sounds like a side dish. Right? I'd like the uh, Guafa Hazid <laughs> to go along with my chips. <laughs> so, okay. So she went to the uh, the assembled forces at the ru- ruins of Giltspire Castle in hopes of defending it. Ultimately, she assisted Rafiq in killing Mal Malfe Malfagor Malfagor. I'm assuming Malfagor. <laughs> Effectively ending Bant's part in the conflux war. It's just so close to conflict. <laughs> I feel like that was probably a thought in their minds when they made that word. Right? There's like, how about we call it the conflict war? It's like, isn't that kind of just like redundant? And they're like, call it conflux. We'll just change up a few of the Right. <laughs> And despite how hard she would have, she had fought, her feelings had still been inexorably changed. She was brutally reminded that Lara was not her world, and she had no right to the position they held. They had asked her for, asked of her. Worst of all, Bant had been changed forever and was no longer the plane she cherished. With a heavy heart, she would plans walk away. Aww, I mean, that's definitely a a rough way to kind of move on. That you you kind of forced to remember that. Your home is not that place. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that that is just something that happens in that, like, through time. Yep. I mean, that's that's an unfortunate thing, like, living in Colorado. Sometimes I look around, and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't the Colorado I grew up in. <laughs> but I still like it here, so. Yeah. It has been 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Three decades. Okay, so, uh, Vengeance and Redemption. Elspeth's self-imposed exile brought her back to familiar grounds. She had spent some time in uh, Urborg. Urborg. <laughs> Are we going into Star Trek? <laughs> On the plain of Dominaria. Sexy. <laughs> As a youth, and she chose to return there, wallowing in her grief and anger. The environment suited her mood, and to make enough money to eat, and perhaps to satisfy her fury, she began fighting in gladiatorial pits. Ooh. Misusing her training as a knight to win, it was in one such match that uh, Ajani once again found her. Uh, which I'd like to say, like, misuse, like, I get the misusing more of, like, because of the nobility in that, that's misusing, yeah. but I'm just like, I'm like, it's a gladiatorial pit in that, no rules. <laughs> I mean, some rules. <laughs> there are rules for the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that's. Uh, I do like that story though, and that it kind of explain explains her um, brutality. Right. Okay. So the appearance of the Leonin would distract her opponents enough that he dropped his guard, allowing her to land a strike that revealed a familiar mark from her past on the warrior's body. Instantly enraged, she sought to strike down her foe, and only the timely intervention of her old friend managed to save him. Ooh. Because apparently she's getting angry. Yeah, dang it. Uh, She's angry. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. 
Which I guess good thing he intervened because like I'm sure we'll fit we might figure out what that mark everything is here. But like clearly this guy, even if he was your enemy at one like fought for your enemy uh, enemy at one point, clearly he's not in a great state. Right. And he's either left or been enslaved. So maybe don't take out all that rage on a dude who's just like, I'm so glad I got out of that mm-hmm. army. Sees you and is like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, talk about having some uh, flashbacks. Right? <laughs> After the match, Ajani informed Elspeth that he had been tracking her, hoping to convince her to return to Bant. He scolded her, telling her that there was no honor in what she was doing, that ultimately she could still help Bent if she would just return, and that she was wasted in a wretched place like Erberg. Erborg. <laughs> which i get and he's he's not wrong right it definitely fits their dynamic and who he seems to be as a character i definitely get him telling her that also i always find self-imposed exile characters funny because they never pick a good time there's like this world's crumbling around i could do something to help but because i broke my own code i'm just gonna walk away and let all of you die Pretty much, yeah. There will be blood in my feet <laughs> for walking away. Yep. So, Ajani's pleas would fall on deaf ears. Elspeth was without hope, and she sent him away, telling him there was no point in fighting what was inevitable. Saddened, Ajani would leave, bestowing one last kindness upon her. He returned the armor she had left on Bant after Malfagor's fall, the armor she had brought herself un- she had thought herself unworthy to wear. God, I can't wait for Netflix to make a show out of this. That's like a classic trope in films. Oh, that. yeah. Like, I'm just going to leave uh, this right here. Oh, yeah. Mess with you mentally. Yeah. It was your armor. You deserve to have it back. <laughs> and then just walk away like, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm getting excited about this, honestly. <laughs> okay. So um, later that night, Elspeth found Koth. He demanded to know where she knew of his mark, and she refused. He told her of the mark that it was a reminder of the people of his plane, of those who had fallen to the Phyrexians, Phyrexians, and his vow to stop them. The next morning, Koth took Elspeth to a ruined structure called the Tomb of Flesh, yeah, it's just a little foreboding. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that, oof. Yeah, so Koth is another uh, planeswalker, too. Okay. That I know extremely little about. I know pretty much what this story tells. Okay, cool. <laughs> they spoke of their homes, of the places they cherished, and once more, Elspeth lament- lamented Bant's fate. Koth would use his geomancy to create a path of the- to the tomb and conjure a light. Elspeth saw a haunting image from her past, and once more, terrified and chilled, she fled from the dark corners of the world. Man, this person does a lot of running. (laughs) Right up there with Jace. Yeah. But but at least she keeps her memory. (laughs) True. Yeah, Jace is kind of was kind of a jerk. I I actually like I like this character. I'm liking this character more. Oh yeah. At least her running's a little more like. Of actual trauma. Right. Like, it's not just a, oh, I'm a, I'm a loser. I'm going to run away. <laughs> yeah. It's more of like, she had a lot of successes, but like with what she's seen, it makes sense that she would just want nothing to do with it anymore. Yep. 
Uh, Koth found her once more at the ruins of a castle and asked her to come with him to the hero's memorial. Once there, he gifted her with gems, telling her to trap her fear in them. But she simply stated that the past is not so easily forgotten. Here in the temple, Koth communed with the stone altar and learned only one thing. They must find Venser. Ooh, I have Venser Journal's card. (laughs) (laughs) He was uh, another planeswalker as well. Okay. Like, most of the stories with the other characters, they just run into each other a lot throughout the stories of magic. I swear it's like the the sparks like talk to each other or something. I mean, I feel like Magic the Gathering is just a giant um, uh, pulp fiction. Yeah, pretty much. Just multiple stories that kind of coincide and, and like cross. keep converging. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so the artificer would not be hard to find, being a long-standing target for the acolytes who tended the mon- memorial. The pair went to see Vincer, and the pair were shocked to find a Phyrexian vessel being rebuilt, improved, in fact. To act as a plane shifting shift ship. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> basically, it was becoming a ship that could do what planeswalkers do without a spark. Okay, cool, 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 cool. cool. I thought so, that. So what... let other people do it. Actually, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it seems to be a thing that's continuing in the story right now with the um, uh, the friction predators. Oh. They're I'm, collecting stuff to, it sounds like, to kind of bring something like this back. I kind of like it, though. I, I kind of like the concept. Right. The only reason I'm like, nah. the only reason I don't like it is generally when people start building things like that, it's never really for a good reason. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, so when it became obvious Vencer had no idea the powers he was meddling with, Koth flew into a rage and encased his head in a stone mask. Oh, dang. Okay, coursing him to walk to Miradin. Mirodon. Din. You were right the first time. Miradin. Okay. Miradin. L's path was appalled at the sudden violent act, but Koth did not care, stating simply that he had no choice. He, uh, he appealed. Oh, now, now it's appealed. <laughs> He, uh, he appealed to her once more to come and help him to atone for her mistake. He did not wait for her answer, leaving her to make the decision herself. I mean, fair. It's like, I got things to do. You think on that. Right. It's like, we're, I'm done waiting on you. I would like for you to come help, but I'm not going to wait. You yep. have to figure this out on your own, apparently. Which fair. Honestly, the stone mask thing. I was like, dang, that can't. Came out of nowhere. Right. Pretty brutal, too. Oh, God, yeah. So, (laughs) to very much shorten up, like, seven paragraphs that would have been in here as well. Um, After that, she would take part in a war on Mirrodin slash New Phyrexia that would bring her into contact with Phyrexians and the Planeswalkers Tefiri, Tezzeret, and Karn. Dang, Planeswalker Battle Royale? No, that was much later in the story. <laughs> oh, there actually is a situation like that? Well, the uh, the set War of the Spark. Mm. That was the whole premise of that. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh. But yeah, I had to had to erase a lot of stuff and shorten it and condense it to that two-sentence paragraph because 
No, there was just so much in that that story. Oh, I believe it. Mirrodin <laughs> falls. But the war of the new Phyrexia failed miserably. Elish Norn gained an increasing influence over the other uh, praetors, forced and eventually seized power over uh, Shieldred and Urabrask territories. This led to the slaughter of the resistance, and in a last-ditch attempt, the remainders of their forces pulled together to strike at the hierarchy. <laughs> While that gesture might still have meaning, Koth led a force to plant a highly destructive spell bomb at the gathering of the Praetors, but the mission went awry nearly as soon as it began. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes those kind of things just aren't going to happen, especially if you're pretty much the last of your resistance. That's never going to go well. Yep. Make the plan. Expect the plan to fail. Throughout the plan <laughs> and just kind of wing it. Yep. <laughs> Oof. That is rough. So their forces would be decimated to the point that Elspeth wondered if she and Koth were the last, quote-unquote, natural beings on the plane. Surrounded by the Praetor's forces, Koth and Elspeth uh, told Elspeth to leave using his power to sink her into the ground so that she would only have one option left to her. He erected a shield to protect her from the blast, but the Phyrexian forces finally broke through, and a, Phyrex Phyrex <laughs> and a Phyrexian obliterator grievously injured the, tra the trapped knight before she could leave. In a half-lucid state, she plans walked away, incapacitated and delirious from her near-fatal wounds. You know, nothing like forcing your friend to leave by trapping her in stone. Yeah. Mm, that is a rough one. That's just a rough situation and kind of a just like, dang, sad ending. It really is. Because like, did he make it out or did uh, he die? I'm pretty sure he died. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like think it. she was literally the only one that survived from that. I'm a little upset. I, did, I, I, was, I was growing to like that guy. <laughs> okay, so uh, Theros. Uh, she awoke on Theros, the world to which she had first planes walked. 15 years earlier, she had been drawn to the plane for the divine nature of the gods in hopes they would provide stability. Honestly, it makes sense that she would planeswalk there in the state she was in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's somewhere she knew of. And I'm sure from what little time she spent on there, she knows it's a relatively safe plane. Exactly. In comparison to probably many others that she has visited at this point. There are so many that are just horrifying and oh, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so in the past, she had witnessed a battle between Heliod and Perforos and had found the Sword of Chaos when it was knocked to the mortal world from Perforos's hand. It was during this brief period she had met Daxos and earned the attention of Heliod, which is the white uh, sun god. Ah. Uh, however, overwhelmed by the presence of the god, she would flee, taking the sword with her as she went. <laughs> mortal, mortal, who comes knocking? Ah! Just run away. Right. It's like he's like, I didn't, I didn't mean to scare. Okay, I may. I do. I have to work on that. <laughs> okay, so after uh, Mirrodin, is that the one I'm reading? Yeah. Okay. After Mirrodin, Elspeth uh, landed at a temple of Fir Firicus? Farikas. Farikas? 
what I go with. <laughs> Farika's uh, worshippers and wrote a letter to Ajani, rolled up in a bottle and then dumped in the bogs. A custom for the prayers of Farika's worshippers. Huh. Mes- message in a bottle. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, I feel like makes me wonder if she thought it was going to go somewhere or if it was just a gesture. Yeah. I mean, it seems like unless he comes there from what I know of the magic universe, I feel like unless he went there, you'd never get it. Yeah. And I, I feel as though more of a jet, a gesture in that because uh, they did just say like, you know, it was a custom of that church and those yeah. followers. So I feel like more of like the whole lighting the candle or probably type thing. So, so once her strength was regained, Elspeth would journey out, hoping to find a place in the world where she could learn of the gods and understand their abilities. This quest drew her to Akros, where she joined a missionary band to earn a place within the city. However, her presence had not gone unnoticed, for the war- for the swords she bore had been lost for years. Ah, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, she kind of pulled one of those, uh, almost like a Kratos thing, where she's holding a god's weapon. Yeah, generally, people are going to probably notice that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when she found Heliod in his temple, he tried to kill her. Wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah. But he was rebuffed by her magic, uh, stunning the supposed supposed king of the gods. Hmm. That's embarrassing. Right. <laughs> Threatened by her power and the sword, the he transformed the blade into a spear he dubbed Godsend and commanded her to make her way to his main temple in Miletus. Miletus. Oh wow, that was a that was a series of events that did not go exactly where I was expecting. Right. It was a bit of a roller coaster. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Also, yeah, like, I, I imagine, uh, just a little embarrassing, king of the gods, terrified of this mortal. <laughs> I mean, holding a god weapon, which is one of the few things that can harm a god. True. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's a valid point. Because if I remember correctly, the way the story goes with the sword is like, that was one of the only things that could kill him because it came from their plane of existence, essentially. That actually makes sense. There's a lot of things. Like yeah. That. So, however, the journey was not to be a peaceful one. Every god wished to possess the weapon and were all driven into a frenzy, manipulated in secret by Xenagos to fear what the others might do should they claim the blade. So, you know, of course, you know, you always got to have that kind of trickstery uh, character <laughs> messing with the gods. It's amazing that tricksters are allowed to just, like, exist in certain pantheons. Well, the worst part is he's not even in the pantheon yet. That comes later in the story. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, he's at this, just... at this point, he's another planeswalker. Impressive. <laughs> the caravan that Elspeth traveled with was set upon again and again until at last the gods nearly destroyed much of Theros in their blind, blind desire. Crufix commanded them all to return to Nyx, where they would be unable to harm the mortal world. But Nylea Nylea was the only one aware of the threat looming upon Miletus, even as he did so. Okay. Now that we got through that. (laughs) 
Yeah, she, she, just, she just wasn't lucky because they, they kept just coming and coming and going after her and just destroying the world. Oh, and man. One, one of the other gods apparently had enough hindsight to not get tricked. was like, no, we need to stop this and get back out of the mortal world. Yeah, pro- well, at least one of them caught on and, you know, kind of fixed things. Right. Man, having gods just come at you is just like, oh, that's like a boss battle every other night. Yeah. Okay. So Elspeth encountered Polkronos, a massive hydra which had slain countless warriors. Elspeth engaged the hydra with the help of Daxos and succeeded where so many had failed, slaying it. This feat of heroism secured her place at the Temple of Heliod in Miletus as the god's champion. Going from a thief to the god wanting to kill you to now their champion. I mean, he he still wants to kill her, but yeah, it's a weird place to be uh, be his champion at the same time. I want I want to strangle you, but you're pretty amazing. And I like it's like that coat, like like having that worker who's just like I want to kill them, but dang it, they do a great job, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, journey into Nyx. Months passed as she learned what the priest of Hiliad had to teach, but mostly she found she enjoyed the time spent with Daxus the most. They grew closer, but he seemed reluctant to answer her questions as she wanted him to. He pushed her away using Hilliard's dogma to keep her from learning too much. At last, they had an argument that seemed to drive a wedge between them, but Daxus apologized and asked her to travel with him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so the the love blooms. I was gonna say a little bit of a will they won't they type thing going on. Yeah, and it's uh, one of the ends of the disaster. Let's, let's foreshadowing is foreshadowing. Pull that bandaid off now. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. So when they returned to Miletus, they found Anthosia, Anthosia, uh, waiting for Daxos, and stories of the Nyxborn attacking humanity. The only option they could find was to consult the ageless sphinx known as Medame, I'm assuming. Uh, he had nothing but dire predictions for the pair and a vision of Akros under siege. Because, hmm. you know, why would you go to a, a sphinx? They're never very forthcoming. I mean, they literally speak in riddles. Yeah, <laughs> like, so it's like, obviously what he's going to tell you is probably not what you want to hear. Right. Like, a sphinx will tell you straight up the truth and the answer to your question, but they put it in such a way that you could interpret it as almost anything. Yeah. Like, if you're not good at understanding riddles or metaphors, you're not going to get the answer you need. Yeah. I'm not a fan of dealing with sphinxes, if I'm if, oh, if, yeah, no. if that's not clear to the audience. <laughs> Glad you haven't brought any of those into D&D, just for that reason alone. I kind of want to deal with them, honestly. I'm, I'm being real with you. Sphinxes are annoying characters to play with and deal with. And I, as a DM, I don't want to have to play one. Okay. Okay. So what the pair did not understand was that the vision was not of the future. Along with Anthosia. They rode hard to defend Akros. They found the unexpected, the Minotaurs having constructed a giant wall to keep reinforcements out. As they spoke of what they could do, Queen Smeed, Smeed? 
Siamid? I don't know. Siamid. Suddenly began, uh, suddenly barged in, saying that they had captured the satire. Satyr. Satyr. I was like, satire. Uh, okay. Say the, they captured the satyr that demanded to speak to Elspeth. Okay. So somebody coming in from somebody who might know her. Yep, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's definitely kind of interesting seeing how the, the Minotaurs fought the the battle. We're like, we're going to build a wall on the outside so nobody can come in to help you. Which is actually kind of a brilliant tactic. Right. right. right can we pause real quick? My sister's calling me, so I need to figure out. So she was led to the da- the dungeons where she found Xenagos chained. He told her that he knew that how they could destroy the army without ever battling, and she listened to, to him tell his plan. They would raise the river that ran through Akros and sweep the army away. Before it to succeed, Siamid and Daxos would have to raise the river while the invaders were distracted. When King Annex heard this plan, he knew the pl- perfect distraction and challenged the Horde's leader to a duel. Naming Elspeth as his second, the plan worked and Akros stood. So I they, mean, they, they literally just drown their opponents, basically. Release the river. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way for humans to beat minotaurs. Honestly, yeah, because minotaurs will just wreck a human. Oh, yeah. They're huge, man. They're bulls. And you got to think these are bipedal minotaurs that are trained in fighting. They're not just no, like... They're not just barbarians. Yeah. Like, they're not just living in the hills like... Right. Oh, that's actually terrifying. Minotaurs that are, like, disciplined and structured? Yeah. That's a horrific <laughs> concept. After leading the armies of Akros to victory, the king ordered a celebration that was held to honor her victory. Together alone in their tent, Daxos and Elspeth finally realized their feelings for each other, but it was not to be. Xenagos appeared as they slept, Thrilled with how well she followed his plan, he controlled her and brought her back, uh, brought back her darkest memory. Trapped with the Phyrexian obliterator looming over her, but she struck out and killed it, only realizing too late that she had just killed. My God, (laughs) she killed Daxos. Told you that had a dark ending. Holy that wasn't just dark. That's messed up. Like, yeah. dang. Yeah. So there's going to be some heartbreaks in the Netflix series. Depending Clearly. on whatever they decide to use for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I need to read these books. These sound like amazing stories. Oh, yeah. They, they really are. Okay. Okay. I'm, I've recovered. <laughs> I, 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 go, continue. Continue, Joker. So outside the tent. Uh, the revel had been suborned by Xenagos, and as she fled, the, she saw Xenagos ascend into Nyx. She was met with scorn by the citizens of the polis and fled for her life into the wilderness. Her world was thrown into chaos as even the gods she had sought to understand turned against her. Heliod was wroth, beginning, believing she was implicit in Xenagos' plan and sought to destroy her. Yeah, this was a very long-ended plan by Xenagos to become the god of revels. Oh. Because like the way the the Nyx and the gods and Theros work is kind of that concept of the more you believe in them, the more they become gods and the more powerful they become. 
Okay. So, so by him throwing this huge revelry, he ends up becoming the god of revels. Okay. Wow, that was a really... Yeah, and she just kind of got, unfortunately, stuck in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, he had, he had to do it to somebody, I guess. Yep. Dang, that is, a, that is a messed up way to become a god. Yeah. I'm sure others have done... I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure others have done worse. I mean, possibly, yeah. I'm not... Yeah, probably. Okay. So, cast, uh, cast out, she found an unexpected ally in the Leo, Leonin. With the help of Brimaz, she reunited with her old friend, Johnny. He was curious about what had uh, befallen her, but she refused to speak of how badly she'd been hurt. Instead, she swore they would set things right, and Ajani agreed to stay at her side. Hey, they finally became friends. Yeah. <laughs> Only took a really long time. Right. And a lot of uh, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> That's what connects them, the trauma. Honestly, sadly, I think that's exactly what did it. Right. <laughs> so, to do so, they would have to travel to the mysterious temple of Crufix at the edge of the world. They traveled by river from the Nessian fort to the Siren shipyard, seeking the legendary mariner, Calife. Uh, standing amidst the shattered wreckage of the ships, Ajani called up the legendary sunken ship known as the, the Monsoon. And to their surprise, Calife appeared as soon as her ship had risen from the deep. Uh, that's one way to get somebody's attention. Right. <laughs> I mean, also quite impressive, too, as far as, like, just magical prowess, being able to lift a sunken ship up. I'm sure there's probably, like, a ritual, like, you have to say something or... Oh, they don't really one... talk about it, but it's what it sounds like. Oh, one of those. Yeah, where it's things. like they're not actually lifting it up by their magic, but it's like a spell or something that's already in place. Okay, that... Okay, that's not not as impressive. Never right. <laughs> she agreed to take them to the edge of the world, but that turned out to be a lie. Awesome. Kiora Ki- revealed her deception as soon as they reached the sunken city of Eric Smith. Thassa confronted them, intending to deal with the lying merfolk but not before sending the pair on their way, wishing them luck. So it's not like Kiora wanted to do something to get in to Nyx as well, or she had like some, some business to deal with it, or she had something to do with Thassa. And well, I know she had some, her and Kiora and Thassa had a, a story. Because okay. uh, the trident that Kiora uses is Thassa's. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it may make uh, it makes me wonder if that's why she tricked them into going there, so that way she can get to the the temple. I mean, or to get the attention of the god or something. That's one way to do it. It's all it's that kind of whole like, hey, yeah, I'll help you, and then you lead them into a trap, not intending harm to them necessarily, but you're right. like, you're like, I need some help with this. And you wouldn't have agreed if I told you. Right. But you're on the way, so you're the best option. (laughs) So they would arrive at the edge of the world, and the god Krufix allowed them to pass the gateway of Nyx. The shrine of Nyxos. To gain entry to Nyx, Elspeth had to undergo an ordeal sent from the gods, and Ajani urged Elspeth to take Thassa's ordeal. 
but she pulled away from him and at the last moment and gained entry from Erebos, which is the god of the dead. Ooh, okay, we're going, okay, kind of switching, switching, uh, whole thing around. Yeah, she sees a lot of the gods in her journey. My, yeah, yeah, she, <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say what were you about to say? <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> my god. Okay, she was, um, she was suddenly elsewhere, back on Bant, as she watched a husband she had uh, never had depart their small cottage. She had lived with him for years, and she could not bear it as she realized it was false. It was only the start, though, as she looked upon her son and daughter, the little girl named Mina, and urged her to drink from a golden goblet. Strangely out of place, and she realized what it would mean to drink from, the, from that cup. Though it broke her heart, she smashed the cup and passed Erebos's ordeal. Okay, so my mind went to like, like when I was like, I was like kind of seeing where it was going to go with the smashing of the cup. But I was going to be like, she smashed the cup across the kid's face. <laughs> you just took something kind of bad already. It just made it so much worse. Yeah, clearly that clearly my mind's not great. We already knew that. <laughs> but that... I do. I always. That's one of my favorite things a villain will use on someone is the personal heaven trap. Yep. And that, like your own personal prison, that's impossible to get out because it's what you want. Oh yeah, and I love it. It's always nice seeing how people react to that in them stories. Oh yeah, it, it's a fun. It's a fun one to really go in depth with a character. Right. So haunted by the memories of the life she had never lived. The pair set to the task at hand. They confronted Xenagos and battled the god until, at last, Elspeth struck him down. And as Xenagos' body fell back to Theros, Elspeth offered her life in trade for Daxos, a deal the god took gladly. Ajani insisted that they could escape, the battle had taken its toll, and Nylia warned the pair that they must flee before Erebos or Heliod found them. They managed to reach Nykthos again, and before uh, before Heliod appeared, using her own weapon, fatally wounded Elspeth. Because, you know, even she can't make it out of her story. I mean, that is truly the tragedy of a hero. Yep. Uh, or an adventure, or... Yeah. No, it's all... It's never... It never yeah. ends good. So, the underworld. So, yeah, because unfortunately, her life did not end at the end of her life. <laughs> You know, if I get to the afterlife and I find out I have to do things, I'm going to be real upset. <laughs> Probably be better than what happened to her. Uh, well, let's get into it. So, Ajani took his dying friend back to Theros and prepared to fight the agents of Erebos that were coming to claim his friend. But Bramaz's warriors ambushed him, pulling him away for his own good as his friend died. Okay, so definitely got to be a harsh way to to lose your friend. Yep, I was gonna say already off to an amazing, amazing start in the underworld. (laughs) Yeah. So as as her life ebbed, Elspeth would pray to the god that had killed her, asking for peace at last. However, on Theros, death is rarely the end of a traveler's journey. In the underworld of Theros, most ordinary humans 
would be doomed to dwell in the eternal gray realm or to surrender their identities and become the returned. But Elspeth is no ordinary human. So yeah, with the return, it's uh, Theros's version of zombies oh. where they have golden masks and have no identity whatsoever. Oh, I, re- I remember that. that's how they make it out of the underworld. That's kind of a, that's kind of a crock. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, hey, we'll uh, like, wait, wait, I can go back. They're like, yeah, totally. You just uh, aren't gonna be you, pretty much. Like, they're like, what? They're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you will have no memories or emotion. You're gonna be a zombie, basically, in, in every sense of the word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I, w- I don't know if I take that deal. The yeah, other world no. sounds better. <laughs> she noticed a young girl who is about to touch the veil. But then she is shocked that the girl's face is a husk and the returned dra- uh, dragged her underwater. She drowned until her spark is regained in a blinding light. Despite her tragic end, she still holds her reasons for upholding her honor close to her heart. Her deep love for Theros, her companions, and the innocence that she has sworn to protect. Oh, that, that dang knight's oath. <laughs> uh, I kind of like it. I, I I like it. Right. I can res- I can respect the uh, standing true to your uh, convictions, even in the face of oblivion. Right, and she did, even after oblivion. <laughs> oh, beyond death. Cool. Yeah. So this this is literally in the the set uh, Theros Beyond Death. Oh, nice. This is her story that took place in here. So, something else had been disturbing Elspeth's rest in Elysia. The planeswalker Ashiok had been spreading their unique brand of nightmares throughout Theros, and not even the underworld was safe from such dark power. Each night in her dreams, Elspeth relived her traumatic past, and her twisted memories were, were all too delicious for Ashiok to ignore. During such, an, such a nightmare, Elspeth would pull Heliot's bear, Cursor, from her nightmare, which in the real world, uh, real world life would become Shadow Spear. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she... She managed to, throughout the story, figure out how to basically make the spear real. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. impressive. That's some that's some nightmare on Elm Street power right there. Yep. And and Ashiak definitely fits that uh that reference. Because <laughs> Ashiak is a planeswalker. I'm not actually sure if it's a he or a she, but they feed essentially on dreams and nightmares and the bad the the bad feelings from nightmares and okay so yeah like that was a very messed up uh, planeswalker yeah that kind of is uh, wow <laughs> but also very impressive on her part right and <laughs> that like dang okay so Elspeth would eventually try to escape from the underworld gathering allies and followers on her path for vengeance against Heliod her escape attempt brought on the wrath of Clothis, the god of destiny. Clothis sent the Nyxborn Calix to bring Elspeth back. However, she would always defeat him. Calix, however, would learn more and more about Elspeth with every fight, improving at every step. Ah, that's a little terrifying. <laughs> right? That's that whole, like, like oh, no, no, no. Because I can't die, I'm just going to keep getting better and harder for you to defeat. Yep. <laughs> okay. But awesome that she's uh, forging a path ahead. Oh, heck yeah. And so Elspeth would claim that Shadow Spear was the true cursor 
and that Heliod's bear was a fake. Uh, due to the nature of belief on Theros, when mortals started to acknowledge Shadow Spear as a true courser, Heliod's spear weakened to the point it shattered when clashing against Elspeth's weapon. So yeah, she basically made... She, she took that concept of, if you believe it enough, it becomes real. It's actually... The way she just used that, beautiful. Yep. Like, oh my god. She's like, I know how to beat you now. That's brilliant. Because yeah, it was kind of... Uh, the sun god's own hubris and killing his champion that kind of led to his demise. It's amazing how many <laughs> how many characters are the like they're the reason they're losing. Right. And yep, it, it definitely he he shot himself in the foot. Actions have consequences, <laughs> folks. Okay. Uh, the god of the sun was forced to yield and Erebus imprisoned him in the underworld forever. For defeating his most hated enemy, Alspath won the God of, De of the Dead's eternal gratitude and the permission to return to the world of the living. After meeting with Daxos one last time, Elspath planes walked away with the Calyx whose spark ignited in the meantime following her. Okay. So yeah, this Nyxborn, the, the God of Destiny... I don't know if she created him or what, but the one he sent, she sent after Elspeth also has become a planeswalker. I was about to say, is, well, is now chasing down Elspeth because the way the God of Destiny sees it, Elspeth is running from her destiny, mm. being death. So she has sent her own agent essentially. Now that she has a planeswalker agent, which you <laughs> you almost gotta admire the commitment to his duty. That literally, because she got away and planes walked away, that ignited. The, <laughs> right. Like, he's just like, I can't do my job. Which is funny that that's his quote-unquote traumatic experience to ignite his spark. <laughs> right? Like, because, like, that, that seems to be what ignites everybody's spark is some form of traumatic experience. Honestly... Like say what you will if we ever do this character and that, but like uh, you got it, you got to commend that work ethic. I mean, I kind of want to a little later on when he's got a little bit more of a story because he's yeah. still fairly new. So we'll wait until he has more of a story. But like, yeah, yeah, no, you gotta, you gotta respect that work ethic. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess we ask the that. That's kind of it, folks, uh, on this character uh, for now. So I guess we ask the question that we ask every week. You a fan, Joker? I, I would say yes. I, I've always enjoyed the the cards of hers because I've always managed to have a, a few of them, and they, I've always liked the idea behind them and and just le learning her story. And as traumatic and messed up as it was, especially in Theros, it was it was a nice character arc, and it was fun to to read and learn about her. I'll say yeah, like honestly, the. Unfortunately, this is the sad thing, but like honestly, tr a lot of trauma, a lot of like bad things happening to a character create a very rich story, and her story is just so rich. So I'll admit, I'm a fan too. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon, hell, even that T-shirt that you saw one time. You're a fan, too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails. <laughs> <laughs>